two. Welcome back Welcome to back Pardon, to Pardon the, the Disruption. My name is Jonathan Sanchez, your host, but they call me Weasel around here. And I'm joined by some real room shakers, the bosses of all bosses. Some guys I'd like to call my friends at this point. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Fantastic. Awesome. All good on this side. There we go. There we go. All right. Let's give a quick introduction for everyone who is joining maybe for the first time. Uh, let's start with Steve. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. Um got sales training the uh the podcast wholesaling title company recently acquired a bank bought got into multifamily so anything in real estate if it touches real estate i want to be involved in one way or another there we go steve trank all right let's go to his virtual right leon barnes leon g barnes that is weasel don't I forget the g of membership for the oh, greatest gee. mastermind in the land, the collective genius. And this week, the G stands for come get some because <laughs> RJ and his VAs are not a part of this this week. So we actually have a chance to win. I love it. I love it. Early shots, early shots <laughs> to his virtual right. Eric Brewer, please introduce yourself to the crowd. Eric Brewer. I am out of South Central Pennsylvania, soon to be a Florida resident. I've uh, been real estate investing for 17 years. Um, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, fix and flip, wholesale, turnkey. Uh, recently, in the last two years, I've been blessed uh, to be a part of Collective Genius at the leadership level, so I get to interact with hundreds of real estate investors on a daily and weekly basis. Um, may also be the inventor of Novations, a super popular topic right now. Um, it's been around for a long time, but it has not been used correctly. And I've changed that and introduced it in the last two years with the help of my friend, Steve Trang. Um, I've been off for two weeks. Um, so I apologize to the rest of the crew. Um, but, uh, this is now varsity. This is no longer JV. Like you've been playing for the last few weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to get it cracking. If it makes you feel Welcome better, back. no one noticed you weren't here. It's okay. <laughs> Sign of a real leader. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. And just uh, one for the road really quickly. Let me let me hit you with one of those. Just because I missed <laughs> you. Man. I missed you. All right, Welcome CJ, back, let's go. <laughs> no doubt. Chris Jefferson, Richmond, Virginia. I uh, run Charged Up University. I work with people who are looking at getting started wholesaling or doing one to two deals a month and want to get to five, 10 deals a month consistently. Uh, also fix and flip houses, rent houses, wholesale houses, do everything with houses basically. And uh, I'm excited to be back. Uh, you know, I think I've won twice now. I'm going for a third today, man. So I'm excited to be here. All right, guys. Well, for everyone who is tuning in for the first time, and just a reminder for everyone who has been tuning in, what we do here is we have a list of questions. We're going to go ahead and debate, give our takes, uh, and then we give everyone a chance to debate each other openly. So 45 seconds for each to make your point, uh, and then we go ahead and we argue. And that's my favorite part. So I want to I want to get you guys a little bit riled up. We need a big episode today. So let's start with question number one. What is the best exit strategy today? And let's go ahead and start with Steve. Uh, so for me, especially right, right now, I think agility is the single most important thing. And so I would say that, uh, with agility, I would say wholesaling is the number one best exit strategy today. It's harder. It's fewer, right? Fewer opportunities to wholesale. You know, you got a whole bunch of other tools to maximize uh, return on investment and everything else. But right this instant with the way the market's going, 
I would say agility is the most important uh, part of an exit strategy. So with that, I would say wholesaling. Okay. Okay. Didn't even use the full 45 seconds, Steve. That confident in your point, huh? Doesn't have that much to say. <laughs> Leon G. Barnes, let's move over to you, sir. So we're, we're making a lot of assumptions with this question. So I'm going to assume that we're talking about single family real estate investors. And if that's the case, wholesaling is the best exit strategy today. One that I honestly, in my investment career, have never really utilized like uh, Chris, I'm more of a fix and flipper and a landlord. And so I'm, I'm giving a suggestion uh, here as the best exit strategy of one that I don't necessarily do. But if I'm looking at the best action strategy today, I was on a call yesterday where people are seeing underwriting change between 10 and 25 and some even higher on what they should be offering at this point with things changing on a daily basis. The best exit strategy right now, today, wholesaling. Okay, okay. Perfect timing. That's how it's done. 45 seconds. Get it in. All right, let's go over to Eric Brewer, the moment we've been waiting for. Sir, your opinions on the best exit strategy. So I think it's a trick question. I think the safest is wholesale. The best has always been buy and hold. Like it depends on how long you plan on being in the game, right? If you're doing this for a 20-year timeline, whatever you buy today, history would tell you will double in value every 20 years. So I would agree that wholesale is, in fact, the safest, right? But it's 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 a rat race. It's one of the things that like when you're wholesaling today, your margins will certainly be lower than they were 12 months ago. Um, so it's the safest. It's the quickest. The best for me would still be buy and hold. I'm going to be around 20 years from now, and I'd love to be able to look back on the things that I bought today 20 years from now and see that they've increased in value by twofold. Okay, okay. With five seconds to spare, no need for the buzzer. Back like he never left. I love it. You can still hit him twice. You can still hit him with it. (laughs) All right, all right. Uh, CJ, let's go ahead and get your opinions. Yeah, man, I'm definitely going to say wholesaling 110%. I love wholesaling with the combination of a seller finance play with that, you know, utilizing direct-to-seller leads that, you know, you can have come in where you can – to Eric's point, you can start building out a portfolio in a safe, more secure way, in my opinion. You know, utilizing seller financing against free and clear properties that come in through your direct-to-seller wholesale marketing. But by far, wholesaling to me is the best extra strategy right now. Uh, it's the leanest. It has the less risk. Uh, has the least amount of runway in terms of disposition, things of that nature. So 110%, I like wholesaling. But, you know, to Eric's point, you know, somebody's got to be a buyer in this market. You got to be able to wholesale properties to somebody. So... Uh, there's a lot of ways you can approach, but again, 110% wholesaling with a combination of seller financing. Yeah. I want to add to there. So like, you know, wholesaling, number one, I think we're all agreed on there for the most part. I would say number two, if we're going to talk about number two, I would say what Eric teaches on novations, right? We're talking what we call the brewer method because a lot more homeowners fit in that box than, than wholesaling, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a realtor referral is the least ideal uh, creative that there's not as many people that fit in that box. Maybe in, in a, you know, three to six months, more people fit in that box. But right now, uh, wholesaling is the safest, uh, least risk. Uh, and, and I would say right behind that brewer method is because a lot more people fit in that box than the wholesaling. Well, and box. it is wholesaling. It's just wholesaling a retail property. Yeah. Right. So I'm glad you said it. I, it would have been, I, I, I try and be humble. I didn't want to state my own, method that I created. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't want to go third person on us. I Why don't you get you credit for something? 
I, th- I think it goes to that point of, uh, you know, like I'm saying direct, I like saying direct to seller marketing. That's truly what a wholesale business is at the end of the day. It's a yeah. direct to consumer marketing business. And when you control the lead from the inception of the lead itself, you now have the unique ability to decide where that lead then goes, mm-hmm. whether it's a seller finance, whether it's innovation, whether it's uh, a rehab, whether it's a buy and hold rental. And so, you know, there's so many people out here right now with businesses that don't control the direct to seller part. Uh, and I think those are the people that, you know, really need to understand that that wholesale component to Eric's point when it comes to innovations. You want to be front and center, man, talking to sellers, controlling the lead from the start. Yeah. I, I think that's a great, to, great to that point, that's the best answer is, and we talk about this all the time at CG, all of them. And when you go yes. to direct the seller, you actually have the ability to take advantage of all disposition strategies based on the asset, the interest rate, the condition, right. and its highest and best use. So with one with one key follow with one key follow up to Chris and Eric's point, if you buy it right, all of them are right. Right. You got to buy it right. Direct to seller gives you that opportunity. So you have to take advantage of the opportunity of buying the asset right and all the exit strategies then work. And the people that side note, no one said to Steve's point. Both Chris and Leon both said to Eric's point. Leon said, no one said to Steve's point. He's trying so to get it out. Hit the buzzer. I, I would add one more thing to that is right now, because, you know, like what Chris is saying, you know, direct the seller right now, who's hurt the most right now in our industry? Everyone that's been joint venturing to the, uh, to the funds, right? So direct the seller yeah. right now, right? You talk about the 20 mile March, the... <laughs> Direct the seller. You got to stay, stay the course. All right. All right. Great points all around. Uh, let's take a look at the voting breakdown here. It looks like we actually have a landslide for round number one for the disruptor himself, Steve Trang on the board. Oh, 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 oh. Steve's point. To Steve's point. Thank you. To Steve's point on this one. Wow. <laughs> wow. What do you guys think about that? 53%. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the math mathing on this. I mean, <laughs> well, apparently we have again exactly. Did you go with the did, least you, amount of votes? Or the, this a, do we have Olympic <laughs> judging going on today? It was the effectiveness of the time. RJ is not even here, yeah. and we still have a vote gate scandal. This is incredible. Leon said there's a Russian judge in the back. Somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. On to question number two. Now, let's give a little bit of context to this question. We've seen it in sports a few times uh, with players kind of gambling on themselves, getting the guaranteed contract option right now with their current team or betting on themselves, proving it over the course of the next year and then going and cashing out in a free agency situation. So using Juan Soto, for example, right now, he just turned down a $400 million plus dollar contract uh to not stay with washington in the long term so my question to you gentlemen if you were in juan soto's place as a top talent are you leaving your current situation or staying uh let's go ahead and start with round one's winner steve um i mean for me i i would say that the, the context right is whether you should you're the best player on the team you're the best paid player on the team does it make sense to stay where you're at or move on for me what i always look at I want to be on the best team. I don't have to be the best player on the team. That's not important to me. I want to be on the best team, but whoever's leading us better know what they're doing and has enough opportunity for me to grow into it, right? If I can hit all my goals on your team, I can follow. I don't have to be the alpha. So I don't know a lot of people out there where I can follow them. Elon Musk comes to mind, right? Like, 
whatever he's trying to do getting to the moon i can fit my vision or going to mars i can fit my vision somewhere in going to mars but uh i would i mean i quit intel to to go chase my dreams the they asked me what it was going to take to keep me back when i was 27 it's like two hundred thousand a year they're like we wish you the best of luck <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah for me i'd be willing to stay in, in one situation all right so steve going to mars coming up um let's go with cj yeah, so, I mean, being top talent is always such a tricky place, and I think we have to point out the fact that although he's getting offered, what, $530 million over, I think, 15 half years? a billion dollars. Half a over billion dollars. Over 15 years. Over 15 years, but the key point here is he doesn't have ownership, mm -hmm. right? And so when you're top talent and you don't have ownership, the only thing you can leverage is your talent itself, right? And I think what he's in a position of having to do is say, hey, listen, I'm the best person here. I'm the best person on this team. Can I believe in the Nationals to either build around me? Am I going to see where I can still get paid what I deserve as top talent? And you guys can also build a support system around me. Or is there another organization who can either pay me the same amount and accomplish that? Or I can take less money but have a better team environment and a better winning environment? Because I think he understands this, a simple point. It's not a one-person game, right? When you're working in a business, you're top talent in a company. Yeah, if you're making all the money, that's great. But if everybody around you doesn't eat, company culture, things of that nature. So that's where I'm at on that one for sure. Great points. Great points. Uh, Leon Barnes. So I would have answered this question differently when I was 23 years old, like Juan Soto. Perspective and age gives, uh, it's, it's huge. 20, you know, 20 years his senior, 22 years his senior. This question is better answered for me this way. Like, I personally believe that happiness is, is, is more important than money. Uh, rich guys, I used to think that was what rich guys like Steve Trang and Eric Brewer and CJ used to say. I mean, I just thought, I thought it was bogus in my 20s. But in Juan's case, if I were advising him, I would want to know, and anyone that is a great talent, what is the commitment to excellence? What is the commitment to winning? To Steve's point, I, if I'm going to be an employee, I want to be led by greatness. I want to be surrounded by other talent as well. So in order for me, I'm chasing happiness, and I also want to continue to you know, maximize my talent and opportunities. And to me, that's more important than that, con that money, because the money's going to come, he's talented. All right, and last but certainly not least, Eric Brewer, your opinions. Um, yeah, I would say at the end of the day, I think it's easy for us to all sit back and, and, and make assumptions about how that situation should be treated. It would be really hard for me not to just take the bag. I mean, at, at the end of the day, a half a billion dollars to Chris's point, he can be an owner of something <laughs> next year. Maybe not of a baseball team, he can be a part owner, <laughs> but there's certainly a counterpoint to say, and this is at any pay level, right? Um, once they say technically, once you go above $75,000 a year, it does not have an impact on your happiness, that that money is, is, is effectively wasted. So there are plenty of people out there with a half a billion dollars that are miserable. So I think if that money was in alignment with his overarching purpose and his goals, that's awesome. He should go get both. If not, if you had 400 million versus 500 million, probably doesn't change your lifestyle. Yeah. One thing I've seen a lot in, in mentoring people over the years is watching them like, you know what, I've, I've had the success. I'm ready to go do this on my own. And, you know, you talk about ownership and so on, which I, I totally get, right? Because everyone here on this call has done that. 
Um, I think one of the things that they don't uh, uh, appreciate enough is how challenging some things could be. So that the skills that they're great at on closing or whatever doesn't necessarily translate to owning a sales and a marketing organization. And like you can make some really good money working for Chris, Leon, uh, or maybe Eric, right? Uh, where <laughs> um, with with no risk, right? As a salesperson, with no risk. So you got you got to balance that, you know, in the context of our of our organizations. Like, can I make more money out there with more risk, or do I make really good money with zero risk? And what's worthwhile? You know, going back to Leon' comment about you know uh, pursuing happiness and so on. Yeah, I think I think another thing on that too, real quick is, I think you're always if he if you're in the position of, of of Soto, right? You're struggling with the prospect of, okay, this is this is my value currently, but I I am the top player, I am the top talent, I am the leadership in the side of the the locker room, so to speak. So then, what what sway do I have as a non-owner in conversations? We always talk about LeBron and him being the GM and things of that nature, but there's something to be said for that, right? Like if I'm the top town on the team. I, I want to be in that meeting, giving my opinion, being heard, feeling like I'm being listened to. So I think that has a lot to do with it for him, I'm sure, as well, not just the money itself also. Well, and this doesn't really relate necessarily to employees. And here's why. Most employees that are super talented are not signing a 15-year deal where they are locked in and their value doesn't necessarily change. This gentleman, in five years, that half a billion, the value may be a billion, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's a sign of billion your deal. this space. <laughs> what? <laughs> that? It, with, with, with inflation, it'll be worth a hundred million. Yeah. yeah, so his value is gonna continue <laughs> to go up. And so this one's a little bit different. Well, I mean, with Leon's 15 year non-compete in, in the clause, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, that's definitely a non-trade clause right there. <laughs> the voting will be closing in a few seconds here, everyone in the chat. So please feel free to throw your last second votes in there. Gentlemen, I think you had some great points. I love what Eric Brewer said. You, I would have a hard time saying no to the bag, too. But CJ also, if you're that important, you want to be heard. I can definitely understand that. And to that point, it looks like CJ took this round in his version of a landslide. You're showing off a little bit, 10% more than what Steve had. So that's the way to humble him. CJ, you took that one. <laughs> there you go. That's the inflation right there. That's the inflation. <laughs> See how quickly it happens. <laughs> All right, guys. Question number three. I'm going to bring my notepad out. I want to know what you guys really got to say about this. What is the best way to raise private money? Chris Jefferson, let's start with you. Yeah, man. So I'm a big private capital person. I used to be um, a hard money junkie. All right. Way back in the day. And it's crippling. Right. And so I had to go out and raise a bunch of private money. I had to figure out how to do that. And I found a very kind of clean process. Uh, I started going to self-directed IRA conferences. All right. I just started popping up at self-directed IRA conferences. Why does somebody have money in a self-directed IRA account? Because they want to decide how they invest that money. So I started going to these conferences. Shout out to my folks over at Quest IRA. And I would start going to these conferences and having conversations with people that had capital that they wanted to actively place somewhere, educate them on why I'm an expert and why I fit the bill for what they are looking for, that I can get them a solid, strong return. And you can raise a lot of money that way by going to a place where people are looking to put their money somewhere. Weasel, you want some more? I can give you a little bit I think Weasel fell asleep. I got some more in the bag if you need it. I got it. <laughs> Uh, we must have lost Technical his audio. 
What the, 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 the Weasel, you got it? You there? That's 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 can you guys hear me? I can hear yeah, you. We got, we got a little we technical difficulties. So he was voting for Steve. He, he got distracted there, voting for Steve. <laughs> Listen, I've tried. It only allows you got, once per He's got account. nine votes. <laughs> All right, let's go to Steve Trang, actually. Second place winner from last round. Uh, so I would say, for me, it's just talking to people, right? Letting people know what you do, and then just asking them, like, do you know anyone that would be interested in investing in real estate, right? It's just... Letting people know what you do. Uh, the key thing here is not necessarily to pitch them. Hey, Leon, would you be interested in lending your money at 10%? It's, hey, Leon, do you know anyone that's particularly interested in investing in real estate? Gets better returns than, you know, parking at the bank or uh, in the stock market. And having them say, well, 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 well what about me? Can, can, I invest in real, can I invest in you? Right? So I think just talking to people, letting people know what you do, asking who they know. And having them step was like, no, I want to be that guy. All right. Uh, Eric Brewer, your thoughts. So my advice would just come from my own personal experience. I would say you either become an expert or align yourself with an expert. It's kind of what Chris said, right? He couldn't go to these places and suggest that they should lend him money if he didn't earn the right to manage that money effectively. So become an expert. Then once you become or align yourself with an expert, get yourself to a visible place. I was able to do this by just doing a ton of social media. Steve and I did a presentation on this. We talked about it a ton. Then those people will gravitate towards you because they want to do what you do, but lack the ability to be able to do all the dynamic things that come along with finding a deal, fixing a deal, selling a deal, managing an appraisal and all of that. So their entry to real estate investing is lending, not the other 17 things that have to be done in order for us to take a deal from start to finish. So become an expert, lead with value, teach people how to, to do what you do for free, and they'll come and want to invest in your projects. Okay. And let's head on over to Leon Barnes to close us out on this one. Like Eric, I'm going to give you my own personal experience of raising capital. Um, you know, out of the gates, I just told every single person uh, about our program. We actually developed a program. It sounds much better than I'm raising money. I developed a, a private money program for people that want to invest and get returns, high returns compared to what they typically would see in other things. So tell everyone is the first advice that I can get. And then as you tell everyone, you start to filter down to what is the best source for you. Like what CJ gave you is a great example. I spent five years at networking events every single week, and there were plenty of times that I did not want to go to those meetings. And on those days that I went is typically when I would meet someone that was interested in what we do. We are in a very sexy industry. People are interested in what we do, fixing and flip. They love HGTV. Just tell people what you do and to give the success stories uh, if you're a fix and flipper and you're raising private money, show those success stories via social media and other channels and people will flock to you to want to invest with you. One of the uh, big lessons I learned uh, as far as private money was to stop saying no when they only have 20, 30,000. You know, I used to do that. And uh, that is money that could go towards a kitchen, a bathroom, you know, whatever mm -hmm. else, like the smaller parts. And, that I, that I wish, like one of my regrets in, in raising private capital is saying no to some people like, come back when you have 50,000, come back when you have 100,000. 
30 turns into 100 really fast if you're de if you're delivering on everything that you said you would deliver on because they will find other people to help invest. One other bit of advice I will give is find trades that deal with people's finances, meaning my best resource for finding private money was my CPA. My CPA understood my business, understood his other clients' businesses, and said, you should talk to Leon. He's delivering returns at X. You need to talk to him. And so I had someone introduce me to an individual that said, I'm currently investing with him as well. It edified me at, in my role. Yeah, and people so have to understand, we're the, like, what? We're, go ahead, Chris. Go, ahead, go, go, go. What would you say to the, like, I'm so just I saying, we're, well, like, we're all kind of saying, we had a lag on it, go. Some people would say, hey, if the person that invests 30 grand is going to want to know every single day what type of return and what's going on with the house, right? If you watch The Wolf of Wall Street, they say, don't pitch or boiler room, right? And they would talk about, like, if the person that invests 30 grand is going to text you every day. The guy that invests 3 million just wants his check in the mailbox. I would just say, I don't know for certain, and I think there's some merit, although it'd be very little to what you said, about taking twenty or $30,000 because it requires the same, maybe more energy to manage that relationship than it does some, someone that invests $300,000 and might understand a little bit better about the volatility of any investment, whether it be real estate or the market. I'm not saying I know the answer to that, just a challenge right. back to you to, to, to what you said. Yeah, I mean, I think that's Sorry, a, I think that's a very valid point, right? I think the other thing too, though, right? You got to make sure you set the proper expectations, right? Like, hey, you know, here's how it works, but also, right? Like, looking back, like those are who knows how many referrals I might have missed out on, right? Do, doing a good job for someone at thirty thousand, they might tell their other friends that have access to more capital, right? So, just yeah, I feel and, like and everybody that, that has thirty grand hangs out with other people that have thirty grand. Could be. Good points. All right. So can I can I jump in on that okay, real quick? You one last point, yeah. All right. So look, very simple, right? You go to an IRA conference. Let's say there's 500 people in the building. All 500 people, other than you, all right, are literally there to figure out how to better manage their money themselves and figure out things they themselves can decide what they want to invest in. They already have financial knowledge. They already understand how interest works. They understand the risk calculation in terms of the investment. And like I think Leon said, they all think just like all of America. They all think real estate's really sexy. If you walk in that room with a shirt and on the back of that shirt, it says raising money for my real estate business. People are going to come up and have conversations with you. You're going to have opportunities to talk to people about raising capital and you can walk away with a lot of money. That's way cheaper than hard money. I can tell you that. Did you just create a T-shirt? No, but I've done exactly what I've said before and I raised a lot of capital doing it. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, really quickly, before we go ahead and announce the winner, we have a, a comment from at Mr. Tim Ray. Apologies if that's wrong. But he says, network, network, network. People are looking for alternatives to stocks and business and business investments. They want to put their money in real estate, but didn't know how. With that being said, Chris Jefferson took this question again. We have a two to one lead over Steve. Yet to get Leon and Eric on the board, but it's OK. They're coming. They're coming. I dedicate that round to RJ Base the third, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. On to question number four. Before I go ahead and announce this question, I would like to remind the chat. Uh, our last question that we answer is a chat submitted question. So go ahead and drop your questions below, and we will have one of those selected as the last question for today. 
Uh, on to the next question. Are you up or down about Airbnbs? And Chris Jefferson, you are up first, sir. I'm way down on Airbnbs. I don't like Airbnb. I don't think it's a sustainable business. I think it's a hustle and a cash grab uh, because there's too many variables at the end of the day when it comes to Airbnb. It's a buzzword right now. Everybody's saying STR, short-term rental this, short-term rental that. The reality of it is the Airbnb business is essentially the hospitality business. We need to be aware of that, where we're at in terms of the economy currently, where we see the economy going. And we can just go back and see over history that the, the hospitality industry will go down. So all these, you know, Airbnbs that people are picking up on leases and buying, getting business credit cards to try to pick these things up to furnish them. I think people are going to have a really hard time in the very near future. I think there's people that do do short term rentals very correctly where they own the real estate. They've they've analyzed it in a way where it functions in different exit strategies. But if you're somebody chasing Airbnb and have multiple leases in multiple states and you can't make those payments, I don't like it. I think it's a tough business to want to be in right now. All right. Uh, next up, Leon Barnes. I'm indifferent on this one, and here's why. Uh, it's not a strategy that I utilize myself. Um, it's something that um, I have the luxury of being around 300 elite in, uh, real estate investors on a daily and annual basis. And I know some of them that are crushing in Airbnb, and I know others that won't touch it like CJ just mentioned. I think it's one of those strategies that if it works in your market and some markets work better than others um, and surprisingly, some of the best markets I've heard recently some from some of those investors are in the Midwest. So for me personally, I'm indifferent on it. There are some people that are really, really good at it. I would just to Chris's point, it is a different business and people get into it just like I sometimes think people get into apartments and go. Well, that's my next phase. It not necessarily doesn't have to be the next phase. So for me personally, I'm indifferent on Airbnb. Okay. Steve Trang, your thoughts. So I want to be clear that Leon had no position on that. So for sure, that should be zero <laughs> points. Definitely. Uh, so I think uh, you look at every recession, which we're not necessarily in a recession, but looks has all the signs of it, right? Um, is there's two things that go down in every recession. Tourism and cosmetic surgery. Like those are the two industries that always get hurt, right? So I want nothing to do with that right now. I want, I have zero interest in doing Airbnbs. I, have, I don't have any Airbnbs. And, you know, again, like, one, like a few other things, I've left money on the table. I know it, but I just never had faith in it because that was the one that is very sensitive uh, to the economy. So if I was going to do it, I would have to be like, you know, where the property's touching the water or something where you got to be like, killing it with excellence in that in that arena otherwise i would want nothing to do with airbnb so you just are indifferent as well i want nothing to do with it i'm down on it <laughs> let's close it up with uh with eric brewer i'm intrigued by the concept like i watch all these videos and TikToks and instagram posts of these people putting up their numbers i'm concerned about the longevity i, I think to chris's point it's a different business. Certainly the acquisition and renovation of that particular house fits in alignment with what we've always done, but the management of that, the fees associated, and then I'm just really worried about how legislation will impact it, right? Like we've seen how they've really compressed the areas that it's permitted in. Um, I think if you buy a house and it makes sense as a long-term hold and you optimize by making it a short-term rental, that's a great philosophy. But what I wouldn't want you to do is count on $6,000 worth of short-term rental income 
for a house that would rent for 1500 bucks if that legislation or something changed about tourism. So buy it as a long-term hold, maximize it as a short-term rental. I think that's a good combo, but I'm generally out. I might buy one or two, but I'm not going all in. Okay, floor is open. If you guys have any uh, anything else to add while we tally up the votes, yeah, I mean, how many how many Airbnb units can can the market sustain? You know, you you've got where people are taking over entire apartment complexes, turn them into short term rentals. You got where people are trying to on on online all these units across the country for Airbnb. What happens when legislation changes? What happen What happens when again it gets regulated? What happens when tourism and hospitality is down. It's just a tough business, in my opinion, to try to be in and, and, and plan against for the future in terms of cash flow. So again, it, to me, it's a hustle and a cash grab. I'm like Steve. I've left money on the table with it, I'm sure. But I like predictable, mm-hmm. consistent business, and I don't see that with Airbnb at all. Uh, all of us. There's no, That's- it's been around for 10 years. We don't have 20 years of reference um, to make decisions about how it'll be impacted. The reality is we don't know. Everything that we're guessing about what happens with legislation and hospitality and tourism could be completely different than what actually happens. It's a gamble. And for me, I got into real estate not because it was gambles, because it was as close to a sure thing as I could find. So to me, real estate's a sure thing. Airbnb is not. It's so, a startup. So, so ask this question. How many of uh, you guys on this call, how many investors elite investors do you know that 100 percent of their business is airbnb well i think the problem hold on Leon. so here's the problem with that question right it's not the elite investors i think that's the concern i think it's the average person that's being taught arbitrage and they see oh, it as a that's... low cost low low way to get into the business and so they go out and get business credit cards they go out and sign leases on multiple properties and that's all good when it works but that's then, my point yeah, so we don't happened? know a lot of elite people that are doing it full time. That's a really good strategy. Point. But but people don't know that, though, because we're in this marketing information age, social media age, where they're just seeing what they see on reels. They're just seeing what they see in ads and people right now, right today. Right. in the you know, Steve says we're not in a recession. I think we are in a recession. It just hasn't officially been declared. But you have people literally right now that are saying, hey, go arbitrage Airbnb. So here's the here's what always happens, right? Like you bought it as a flip, uh, it didn't work out. I'm gonna keep it as a rental, and where you try to sell it, it's like this is gonna be a great rental property. But now and then it turns to well, this is gonna be a great group home. This is gonna be a great sober living home. Now it's like this is a great Airbnb. Like it's just all these different degrees of how they have to pitch it to sell the property. <laughs> I think I think it can be a great strategy as a bolt on, as an additional, you know, For diversification. Uh, strategy to monetize. Like, but to Eric's point earlier. If you're buying it and it only works as an Airbnb, uh, I would reconsider that. Sell it. Now, I will say this. You guys all made great points, but there was a little bit of a letdown because I heard no one bring up the fact that Airbnb house pool parties in the Phoenix market are all the rage right now. And I'm not saying all I'm the more reason you don't want them, but they do pretty good. They do pretty good. That's what I had for my 40th birthday. We rented out an Airbnb, went crazy with it, but they just passed this rule. I think at Airbnb, no more house parties. Yeah. That's yeah. the quickest way they could take their company. All right. It looks like Chris Jefferson took that round also. Whoa, whoa, We've whoa. got a He's even surprised. He's even surprised <laughs> yeah. he took that one. No, no, no. I think... <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
yeah. I can't believe I won. It was, yeah. it, it was such a great take. I just thought I'd win by a bigger percentage. That's all. I, uh, sure. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the last question. Again, my reminder to the chat and everyone watching, submit your own question, and that will be the one that we will answer after this one in conclusion of the show. Um, so let's go ahead and get to our fifth question today. What is better to buy on market or off market deals? And let's go ahead and start with Chris Jefferson. Yeah, I'm still going to say off market, just less competition. I think, you know, I got started in a business in 2008. You know, I remember a vivid time, 2009, really mostly 2010 to 2012, where if I wanted to buy five houses literally today, I could call my realtor and she could get me five really good quality on market deals that same day. I don't think we're there yet. I think that's uh, we're potentially may end up there again. Uh, but right now, today, to answer that, I'm going to 110% go off market. You're competing against less people. You have more control of the negotiation. There's no middle person in terms of the trusted third-party realtor that people are looking for to an opinion of value. So I'm going to always want to chase off market direct to seller. Again, I think there will be a time potentially in the future where off mar our on market will again make sense. It did at one point, but I don't think that's today. Okay, okay. Let's go to Eric Brewer. I think a deal is a deal. Who cares where it comes from? If I can buy an on-market deal, my cost of contract is zero versus an off-market deal where my cost of contract is $5,000. My net on that $20,000 deal is 20, not 15. So I think it's an oxymoron. A deal is a deal. I don't care if I get it on-market on market or off-market. I will say there might be just as much competition on off-market deals as there is for on-market deals. We just don't necessarily know about it. So with that being said, off market, there's a greater opportunity to buy in volume based on today's market conditions. But like Chris, I was in the market back in 2008, 9 and 10, where you literally could go on the HUD's website and just make offers and buy five to six properties a week. Um, and it was all about just knowing the construction and who your end buyer was. No negotiating. You didn't have to be a great marketer. You literally just had to know how to estimate ARV and construction. All right. Go ahead and take it to Steve Trang for your opinion. Uh, so obviously, you know, we've been preaching off market for the longest time, but we're starting to see uh, the sellers uh, become pretty realistic. So uh, I have the good fortune of working with someone that uh, works with the funds uh, that's still actively buying here. And the comment is the realtor community these days is uh, are, are ones that got licensed during COVID and the negotiation skills are as good as, you know, toilet paper. Um, and so... The, uh, the, they're getting some pretty good pricing right now. And so I'm actually taking a page out of Eric's book uh, from back in the day of lining up with, you know, Audantic and MLS and seeing what options are available. So I actually have a call with Eli Fisher tomorrow morning to kind of figure out how we can systemize this. So I think that we're going to start looking at pursuing on-market deals to see what we can do with that. So right now we're putting efforts towards on-market deals. And I think kind of with Eric, like there's just as much competition off-market and on-market. Shout uh, out Aldanic. <laughs> there we go. All right. And Leon Barnes, go ahead with, uh, with your thoughts. The bigger pool, Eric said it, the bigger pool of opportunity um, is off-market, of course. But I can remember eight years ago where things are cyclical in this industry. I can remember half of the inventory that we put under contract and took down were from the MLS and things are cyclical in this business. And the best 
investors, the best leaders are always going where others aren't. I remember when everyone, oh, everyone had to go cold call and everyone had to go and text. Well, when people, when people went to texting and cold calling only, the best people shifted and said, I'm going to continue to do direct mail because everyone else has left a lot more of my competition. There are opportunities today on the MLS uh, that did not exist just last year. I haven't purchased in two years inventory on the MLS, but I can tell you now that the amount of call volume that's coming from listed properties has doubled in the last month. All right, gentlemen, the floor is open. I got a question. If you have a, if an off-market seller calls you to get an offer, isn't it on market? The property's for sale. Then you're being semantics yeah. here. We're talking about MLS deals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you didn't say MLS. You said on market. If I'm calling five people to tell them I want to sell my house, so my house is on the for market. For sophisticated investors, on market means on the MLS. You know, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think the guy... I don't think Leon CPA who wants to buy an investment property is 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 licking stamps and envelopes and sending out direct mail to get off market properties, right? I don't think I don't think they're one and the same the way you guys are saying. They're distinctly different, right? There's different buyers on MLS that have no idea what wholesaling even is, right? So it's two different things. I do remember the days to Eric's point, the HUD home store, we used to go crazy buying houses on there every week, auction.com. I think a lot of those things are definitely going to be coming back here in the near future. Those would be for sure considered on market. But, you know, again, for me, man, I think there's less competition, maybe a more sophisticated competition off market, but you can cover a lot of ground off market with good systems, good processes. And unlike Leon, uh, the best of the best are cold calling, texting and sending voicemails. And, you know, maybe every once in a while licking stamps and whatnot, too. But, you know, that's my thought on that. I think you might be a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit. I didn't say cold calling and texting didn't work. I said they go where others aren't. And a lot more went to that route. And they're doing tons of deals from it. You should be doing all is the right answer, Chris. Yeah, for sure. All of the above. All right. All right. So it looks like the voting is getting ready to close up here. And there's some last-second movement. This one's going to be really interesting when it closes out. Well, let's just keep the voting open until Chris is in second. <laughs> <laughs> I like that strategy. All right. It looks like it's actually in a tie right now, so we do have the voting open. Um, it looks uh, All right. Let's go ahead and read a comment really quickly while that closes out. Uh, Walter Lotero said, on-market property MLS deals that have been on market 60 days plus uh, it's a property that could be negotiated. Hundred percent. Here's the thing that I think we're yeah, not I mean, giving I think, enough credit to. What we're not giving enough credit to is if you look, let's say in Phoenix, right? If in a, in a normal month, Steve, how many properties sell? Eight to ten thousand. Out of those eight to ten thousand, how many of those are off market? No, those are all the MLS deals. That's not uh, the, the total okay. sales volume. So, so how how many would you say sell off market compared to the ten thousand on market? Uh, I don't know, maybe like uh, less than a thousand for sure. Hundreds. And it's in it's the a hundreds. fraction. You're, mm -hmm. it's, I, I, again, like we're, we're fighting over what we, if someone puts their house on the market, we're assuming that they want top dollar. The reality is that's not the case. I bought tons of non-bank owned properties in 2008, nine and 10 from sellers that had limited options from buyers because people didn't have to buy a fixer upper. They didn't want to buy a house 
that needed paint and carpet because they could go buy a fully renovated house for 50 grand more and only change their payment by 150 bucks a month. On market is grossly underestimated as far as the opportunity. Um, that's just my point. There's 10,000 properties that sell on market in Phoenix and a thousand that sell off market. You can get 10% of the big pool and it's double getting 20% of the little one. Okay. All right. So the, the voting did end in a tie. So that means that the decision is in my hands and I got to go ahead and give it to Eric Brewer because I owe you one pal from a couple weeks ago when I hit you with the buzzer beater. So buzzer beater. My Brewer man Weasel. And I did, I did, I did back channel Weasel. And, and I just want to say what I said to him. I said, listen, I see that we're in a tie. I believe Eric Brewer to be the best multitasker that I've ever interacted with. Let me go ahead and just concede the point to him. All right. I think he gave a great thought. So, Eric, congratulations on that round, man. I think you earned it. All right. Thank he you. Just, he just, you read all day. Chris just said he gave it to you. Is basically what he said. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he just conceded like that, that, that the election when they politely bow out. <laughs> that was his concession speech. Hey, listen, a point's a point. Twenty bucks is twenty bucks, like Leon said. All right, let's go there ahead and go, go to the submitted question. Uh, the okay, here we go. It's do you think it's smart to get into commercial real estate in a recession? Let's go ahead and start with the round five winner, Eric Brewer. Whew, I don't think it's smart to start anything in a recession because what we often don't know is how that recession is going to show up. Like the last recession we saw was fueled by real estate. Real estate is what actually drove the recession. Um, that's certainly not the case now, right? Like real estate has continued to thrive while other industries are already struggling. And I think that's why we're the last people to admit that we're in a recession because we don't necessarily see it. It's showing up in different industries and has been for months, if not years by now. My personal opinion is, I would go into commercial right now in a recession because there's going to be opportunity, but I'm going to align myself with someone that has a substantial amount of experience. I'm not going to try and learn something during a recession. I think that's a very risky move, but I will align myself with an expert in commercial and then I'll learn commercial alongside someone that knows what they're doing. All right. Uh, Chris Jefferson, your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I don't like the word commercial a lot because commercial is just such a wide ranging word. You know, you got medical, you got office, industrial. So what I like during a recession is multifamily. I think rents are going to continue to do very well, and I think they're going to hold very firm throughout the recession as they have in the past. I think off market or on market, regardless of what it is, opportunities in multifamily are going to be plentiful. I think they're going to be great. You're going to be able to do seller finance deals. You're going to be able to get very creative and set some things up. So I wouldn't be getting into a lot of different types of commercial during a recession because they're going to be impacted by different industries. Right. But I do think doing multifamily investing in terms of commercial inside of a recession is a really, really great opportunity. All right. Chris just said market. Chris just said on market. Steve Treg, let's go ahead and get your opinions. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> I would not go into commercial right right now, right? I think for me, as things are getting kind of interesting, uh, I would double down on what I know, double down what I'm good at. What's paid the bills for the last few years, 
and get really excellent at that because right now we're going through a purge, right? Our peers, people that are, we're competing against are falling by the wayside right now, right? They're going out of business. There's more opportunity for us right now if we stay on track. We go in the commercial. Now we're chasing something that we got to go with the learning curve. We're gonna, we don't know what we don't know. You're going to be opening yourself to some, some massive risks. I say right now, do what you know well, go make your money, and enjoy and celebrate while your competition, you know, goes on a six to 12-month vacation. All right. And last but certainly not least, Leon Barnes. The key word that you asked there in that question is start. And starting something new uh, in a recession is, uh, to ev everyone's going to be pretty aligned on this. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not the the most wise decision to make, even if there is opportunity there, because it's not something that you know at a high level. If you have been doing this business right for the last two or three years, you've had the, the wind behind you, you've been wind aided, and it's, so it's made you look a lot better than you probably are. Hopefully you've been stacking some cash and there's some opportunities that may come your way from professionals that are in commercial, be it industrial, multifamily, or any of these others, that you can align yourself as an equity partner in with an expert. That's the only way that I would be looking at something along those lines. The opportunity is there, but aligning yourself with an expert for that commercial is the best way to go if you're going to get into it. Floor is open, gentlemen. Yeah, I, I would mean, tell I you think this. Steve and Leon made really strong points. Go ahead, Chris. We in, keep doing it. In, in terms of this, right? Like, <laughs> it's all good. So, so look, right? Like, yes, like Leon just said, start. And I think that's important to point out. If, if, if you got that wind behind you, like he said, you know, when you were making a lot of money over the last couple of years in this gold rush that we've been in, you would have been reinvesting in education. You would have been looking into learning about how to do properties, you know, uh, in, in terms of commercial, in terms of multifamily, in terms of some of these things, because that learning curve is real, right? Like if you want to start learning now and we're already in the crux of it, like we're in what we're going to be in, it's starting right now. You know, it might take you 12 months just to learn. It might take you 24 months just to learn. By that time, the opportunity could have passed, right? So I think there's a lot to be said about that too, for sure. So I, I would reference an expert because unlike most of the people in this panel, I am a learned professional. I am you a can't student. spell learned. I don't have to. I can pronounce it. This is audio, not visual. Jim Collins talks about the five stages of decline, right? I think someone that would go out and start commercial right now is what he calls grasping for salvation, right? They're not able to continue the momentum that they had over the course of the last two, three years, and they're going to reach and grab and start something, right, for the sake of salvation to try and save themselves. And it's stage four out of the five of decline. What happens next is you're done. So I, I would say that that exact statement start commercial in a recession falls firmly into phase four stage four of jim collins who is a phenomenal um read right he's written multiple books about business and observations of the top companies in the world over the last 70 years and the people that failed and he would call it grasping for salvation as one step before capitulation to irrelevance or death i don't want to go down stage four to Steve's point, for the first time all show, I'm going to go back to what I know and, and stick to the stick to the classics. And I think, like, 
I think we all said it here, right? Like going to the expert, like, uh, you know, I am starting a different venture. You know, we're talking about blockchain, right? But I'm not the expert here. I'm partnering up with someone that is the expert, that's someone that has a track record, right? And I'm aligning myself with him. So like, you know, what Eric said, find a commercial expert, see how you can add value to them, right? Maybe you're really good at uh, skip tracing, cold calling, whatever, and you can add value to someone that knows the industry, but you got to find someone that's the expert and add value to them. Do not try to be one the one that becomes the expert. Not right now. It's too late. Especially for those people in the last two, three years that are sitting on a stack of cash because they've been waiting for these moments of opportunity and they need depreciation. They've always said, I want to get into multifamily. I want to get into commercial. You take what Steve just gave you on aligning yourself with an expert. You have some golden opportunities that could be presented to you to get long-term depreciation, some other benefits that hopefully, if you've been doing this right, you have that stack of cash that you can take advantage of these opportunities, unlike those people that are in that stage of four and stage five that Eric talked about, that they're not going to be in business. So listen to this. Yeah, tell what me, we're talking about, by the way, guys. About this. Me, in, me. A recession, <laughs> in a recession, who makes all the money? Who's been waiting to, to, for prices to drop? or to at least stabilize people with tons people of money. With stacks stacks right? so that's typically and what do those people lack that we have proprietary deal flow they have tons of money they don't know the difference between a deal and a donut they can't go find the deal so what you should do is be the acquisition arm of someone that has the person that that likely has good commercial experience is very operationally efficient they know how to um, maximize commercial rents. They know how to find commercial tenants. Chances are they're not a deal maker. They don't know how to market and sell and negotiate. Align yourself with someone that has big bank and operational efficiency, and you be their acquisition arm, get yourself a transaction fee and make sure you keep a portion of the equity in the deal. I just want to uh, bring it up here to Weasel. I think Eric's reading notes. I think someone is feeding him lines. Can we get? Can we have someone take a screenshot? Roll that camera around. Who, who's in the room with you, Eric? Just say I'm like, sure. you don't. But you I, don't have to to be backhanded. Just say that I'm on my I'm on my I'm on my ish today. I just see you looking at a screen. I don't know. I just see hey, you looking at a screen. By the I don't way, some, somewhere right now, R.J. Bates is in a hockey jersey, wishing he could be here. <laughs> Steve, I was I was actually going to give him credit, Steve. Somewhere out in Texas, I thought that thick ass hockey jersey, wishing he could be in the air conditioning. <laughs> I think he's reading RJ's. I think RJ's feeding him something. Well, RJ's saying? giving him the, the game. Everybody <laughs> just said something really important. I want to point out, by the way, to my point earlier, this is the benefit of having the skill set of knowing how to go kill your own food, knowing how to go direct the seller, knowing how to talk to people and negotiate, know how to craft deals, know how to figure out what deal placement looks like in terms of disposition. That is the gold, by the way. All right. The guy in the skyscraper that's developing a bunch of properties and stuff like that, he's not going and sitting down with the homeowner to find a deal. He's dealing with brokers, referrals and things of that nature to get his food. If you know how to kill what you eat, you know how to feed other people. You now have value placement in other people's lives because in order for them to eat, somebody must serve them food to the table. So do not discount the fact that if you know how to go find opportunity, doesn't mean you have to be the operator inside of the opportunity. I can tell you as someone who's been an operator a long time that it's more fun to be a partner 
where you provide an opportunity, put food on the table and let somebody else cook it. All right. So go find the food, bring it to people and create opportunities for yourself. One hundred and ten percent. By the you way, guys get Chris, those looks actually, from real quick. It's, it's real quick, Eric. You, you kill, guys not kill what you eat unless you're going to actually <laughs> eat stuff that's still alive, which is super well, weird. <laughs> so just let's eat what yeah, you kill. Listen, listen, Eric, kill what you I got eat, you. So. I got you. Let me help you out. I I got you. You're talking to a killer, though. You're talking to a killer. <laughs> All right. I, I get on the phone and I kill what I eat. I go get my own food. That's how I make so much money and run this business. So that's just you. letting you know. All right. I got you. Uh, we, we have a comment I'd like to highlight because that's exactly where my head was. I was super impressed with this one. A deal and a donut is something in the music world that we call a bar. And Eric Brewer, that was a oh. bar. Sir. <laughs> that was a bar. That was a bar from Eric. You don't want to get me started. <laughs> and kudos to your gritty. I saw the video. You have a great gritty. You should go on tour. He worked on that for a long, long time. <laughs> he got it done. Looks good. <laughs> uh, the good news is, on that question, last question of the day, Leon Barnes got on the board with 47% of the votes. So that is a point for Leon Barnes. He doesn't go home scoreless today. But the bad news <laughs> is it wasn't enough to dethrone Chris Jefferson, who's this week's champion. There it is. Flex on him, sir. Your thoughts as the champion for this week? Yeah, it's tough. Look, I'll just be brutally honest with everyone, as I always <laughs> am. These guys are good. All right. These, these, these gentlemen, they're good. All right. But I look, I take a very simple, practical approach to business. I don't, you know, Eric, I see he's got a lot of these big words. He's probably got one of those fancy college degrees over there somewhere where he learned <laughs> all that about stuff. Fans. You know, I, I, I can't, I don't fans. do all that. <laughs> <laughs> I said the word and, and he's like, Eric, and it's no. the word. <laughs> That's why he has the U. But no, just kidding, <laughs> man. It would be a great week. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly why it's the U. That's exactly why it's Can the I make U. a suggestion, Chris, just as a friend? Please. If you're going to flex please. on him, like, please go to the gym. Like, just oh. consider it. Wow, Steve bringing heat today. Hey, listen, listen, Steve, this is what I'll do. Let's get your 100 millionaires or 73 millionaires at this point. I'll bring the U family. I'll bring the U family. I know you like to play basketball. I like to hoop a little bit. Ooh. You can put Eric Brewer in your team. I'll take Leon. He'll, Leon, you can be an honorary member of the U. How do you get Leon? Let's Leon put some money up for charity. On the Trang Brewer train. Like, where, where does this come from? <laughs> this is not an expansion draft. <laughs> Me, Trang, Leon, and my we can get a, son. We can get a good game going. We can get a good four. game going. We'll play five on four. Me, five Trang, nine. Leon's on my son. team for sure, man. <laughs> Ooh, sending shots, sending the shots. I like it. So I, I guess we're setting up the uh, the charity basketball game, and we'll we'll see where the talk is. Are Sounds you guys like going to put happening. your money where your mouth is? For the record, we've been trying to get Steve onto a court in our office for a long, long time, uh, and it, it you know I'm supposed to be on his team, weasel. so I'm not going to say he's ducking smoke. But any assistance you guys weasel, can give us, weasel. Weasel. me and you, me and you are going to talk. I'm going to be in Arizona soon. Make sure he gets hydrated. It's 115 degrees, man. <laughs> Weasel, I can tell you this, Weasel, since you're the scorekeeper, get me on a basketball court and there will be no L's. Just okay. Okay. It's getting scary out here. It's getting scary out here and I like it. This was the energy I needed, fellas. But what a great episode. Another great episode. We appreciate all your insight, your knowledge. Thank you, guys. 
Um, let's go ahead and go virtual left to right. Let's get some closing statements. We'll start with Steve. I, I'll say the same thing I said before, right? It's like we got four guys here that know the business inside and out. These are guys that, as you can hear, have been doing this for over 10 years, right? Like they made it. They've gone through the challenges, right? They've gone through the, the crucible. So, uh, you know, I, I just vouch for all these guys. So if you guys are, you know, concerned, struggling, sales, we got my event coming up, Sales Disruptors. Go to disruptors.com slash sales disruptors. You guys interested in joining the best mastermind in the country? You got Leon here representing Collective Genius. Get Eric Brewer. He's got the Brewer Method. He also does consultations. And then we got Chris Jefferson with the U. I mean, everyone here can help you. You just got to figure out who's the best person to work with to help you. I had to hit that one for you, Steve. Great, great closing statements. Nice. I like it. All right. Uh, Eric Brewer. Uh, I'm happy to be back. I had a lot of fun. Uh, my schedule doesn't always allow me to be here, but uh, I've made arrangements so that moving forward, I'll be able to to be here each week. I really enjoyed. I think what's great about what Steve's put together here is what you're hearing from these people is actual, genuine knowledge that is being shared with the listeners in an effort to help versus a lot of people that get together and do these types of shows or streams and they throw out buzzwords and things that that might entice you to want to enroll in a course um none of us are really here for that we like having fun we all like to sort of talk a little smack and um i just value the fact that we're able to balance that with actually providing value if you've looked at any of the comments or feedback from people that have watched this it is an absolute hit so i'm just happy to be a part of it and looking forward to being back next week awesome awesome all right leon don't forget the g barnes you got to get the G in there, and it stands for not a guru. No gurus <laughs> on here. Everybody here, guys, are all people that were are, are here to help. We love. I, I look forward to this every single week, Steve. I appreciate you inviting me and making me a part of this. It's it's it's, it's, it's I look forward to Thursdays uh, doing this. Uh, the biggest thing I say from today's questions is just make sure that if you're trying to do something in this market, not understanding where this market is going. Don't go out and start trying new things. Commercial, all these other things. We talked about wholesale being the best strategy right now of you know, just being able to pivot and be flexible. Um, just continue to tune in. You get sage advice, seek wise counsel. You've got it here with, uh, with, with these three and hopefully I add a little bit to that. And yes, thank you, Eric, for selling hard for getting me on the show. I do owe you something. I'm sure for the I'll, record, I'll I invited you. Steve reached out. <laughs> fair, fair statement. Fair statement. Big difference. My executive assistant communicated the message to, to you. Steve is my EA. <laughs> well, regardless of the details, Leon, it is it is a pleasure to have you here week after week. So we do appreciate it. And CJ, go ahead and bring us home, man. The champ. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess I've got, you know, what is it? Three stars on the helmet, I guess, Oof. at this point. So, Talk to yeah, that's, that's always that's always good. Uh, in all seriousness, man, it's good to get on here and poke each week and, 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 and have fun. And I think the important message, though, is, is like everybody's already said, you know, you get educated information from different perspectives. And as, as somebody watching, right, like you've got to take that information, you've got to analyze it against your own life, against your own goals, against what you're trying to accomplish and figure out where things fit 
you know, inside of that for you. And, you know, when Steve put this all together, man, I know that that was the goal, right? It's like, how can we share multiple perspectives? How can we show people the opportunity that they have when it comes to this business? Because, you know, somebody has been doing it a long time. I've had to pivot or wanted to pivot multiple times into different types of opportunities within real estate. But to me, that's the beauty of it. You can learn core concepts, core information, and you can apply that in so many different ways to get to your goals and the life that you desire. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Steve, appreciate you putting it together and, you know, everybody that participates in the show along with, you know, everybody else, man. Thank you guys so much. I miss RJ, by the way. And I would make a suggestion that when he <laughs> comes back and we're all here that every, you, I think you add a five man panel, if you can make it rotation, happen, I think it would be awesome. Uh, Leon's been a great addition. Chris does an okay job. Steve runs the thing, so he's got to stay. And when RJ comes back, I think there's room room for both him and his hockey jersey, and we should get him back on and do That's a five. Asking a big ass for the team. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I was, I was getting ready to say, Steve, I was getting ready to say, I think it's a great idea. Um, and shout out to our whole team, but in specific, uh, Manny right here, instant panic when you said five-man panel. <laughs> instant panic. So we'll see if we can figure no that pressure, out. No pressure, no diamonds. That is, no diamonds. That's going to be it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, submitting your questions, being so interactive in the chat. We appreciate it. Part of the disruption is here every Thursday, 1130-ish a.m. every week. And we will see you next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Take care.